Good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, be in prayer for our pastor, Ronnie. Uh, he is not feeling well today. He has pneumonia. And so uh, we hope that uh, that'll clear up quickly and he'll be able to be back with us here uh, next week. But I would appreciate your prayers. There's a lot of sickness going around, as most of you are well aware of. And uh, so we need to be praying for each other uh, that the Lord will protect us and keep us from any sickness uh, that is out there. We're in the midst of a series called The Difference Maker. And that title becomes, I guess, more real, more personal to us when we begin to think about the things that we need Jesus to do in our life. And you may be here today and you need Jesus to do a miraculous thing in your life, a miracle. And there's only one person I know that can do miracles, and that's Jesus. So I don't know what you're going through or what you're facing or what you're dealing with today, but you may find yourself in a situation where you need a miracle. The story we're going to be sharing today is in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 43. The very essence of it is about a man whose son is extremely sick in his estimation to the point of death. And so he seeks out Jesus to heal his son. Now the story begins, Jesus is ministering in Judea and Galilee. Now this was an area that was very familiar to Jesus. Matter of fact, this is the area in which he grew up. And so many of the people there understood who he was based off him as a person. They saw him as a child, as a teenager growing up. And because of that, it made it very difficult for him to do a lot of miracles in this area. Now, he was able to do some, but it made it very difficult for him to do a lot of miracles. And so that's why at the very beginning of this passage, Jesus makes the statement, uh, it, is, it is hard for a prophet in his own country to have honor. Because he couldn't do a whole lot of miracles because of how familiar they were with him. But Jesus went into an area of Galilee where he was very welcomed by the Galileans in that area. There's where this man finds him. Now, I wanted to do a little background study on this gentleman. He came from Capernaum. And I found out that he came from Capernaum to Galilee, which was about a 25-mile journey. And in my studies, I found out that it was all uphill. Now, when I read that statement, it was all uphill. My mind kind of went back to all of those stories that my dad used to tell me. Because in every story he ever told me, everywhere he ever went, everywhere he ever walked, he was always walking uphill. And I thought to myself, I guarantee all the young people in here, when I begin to talk about this, in their mind they would be thinking, this must be where my grandparents grew up, because they were always walking uphill. I don't know what it is about the older generation and their childhood experiences, but they were always walking uphill, and it was always uphill both ways. And that's amazing. And then if that wasn't difficult enough, they would add a little bit to it. Uh, they'd walk uphill both ways, barefooted, usually about three or four foot of snow on the ground. Uh, you know, I've never been much about climate change and all that is going around and, and whether or not it's true or whether or not it's really happening but that is an argument for it you know it used to evidently it used to snow every day and it snowed about three or four feet 
uh, now we do good to get one snow a year about three or four inches. So, you know, that reminded me of those stories that my dad used to tell. You know, last week we were out here and we were mingling, we were talking, and Ann and Ernie Cannon, they were passing out these papers with information on it about our joy group. Our joy group is a group of senior adults, or seniors, older people that go and do activities, and, and they just have a great time. Well, he gave me one, and he invited me to come and join them, and I thought, hey, how sweet, you know, that he would want this young guy to come and hang around uh, these older people in our church, and I could be a blessing to them, I thought. And then I overheard him say this to someone else. He said, now, this group is made up of people 50 years old and older. And I realized that I'll be 50 years old in August. So he wasn't just being sweet. He was being honest. And he was inviting me to this group. And it depressed me a little bit. You know, I was depressed. And so as I was studying this out and and I realized that, you know, the stories that my grandfather and my father used to tell me, those things, it made me happy because now I realize that I now can be a part of the storing process. And so when I tell my stories, when I was a kid, I can use hyperbole, I can exaggerate without any restrictions at all. And so when I'm talking to the other people on our staff, and most of them are young outside of me and Ronnie, and they're talking about how rough or tough it is, some area in ministry, I can look at them and say, you don't know nothing. You know, you get older, you can use double negatives. It really doesn't matter anymore at that point. I say, you don't know nothing. When I was your age... I had to walk to church barefooted. I had to wear a suit and a tie. Always snow on the ground and always uphill. And we carried Bibles about the size of a coffee table. You remember those big old huge Bibles? How many of you guys, when you went into your grandparents' house, they had this big huge Bible on the coffee table. It had a picture of Jesus on the front of it. How many of you remember that? It's called the Family Bible. See, I can exaggerate those stories back then because they're so young. They don't know. They got it made. They don't even realize it. And I can tell those stories to them. So there's some advantages to getting older. But here's this gentleman who comes from way off. He's traveling 25 miles. That's a day's journey. Uphill in order to find Jesus. Now in all seriousness, his son is extremely sick. To the point of death. And so he would have walked 50 miles or 100 miles or whatever he had to do in order to get to Jesus. He desperately needed Jesus help and so he goes to Galilee and he finds Jesus there now he had some previous experience with Jesus we're told in this passage where he saw Jesus work miracles in Jerusalem at the Passover and so he knew that Jesus could do miracles he was certain that Jesus could heal his son and so he approaches Jesus and he asked him to come with him to Capernaum To heal his son. And Jesus says something here also very interesting. He says, can you not believe unless I do miracles? You see, Jesus did miracles in his day to authenticate who he was as the son of God. It carried a lot of credibility when he told people he was the son of God and then he walked on the water. Or he healed the blind or healed the lame or healed the paralytic man. He did miracles to bring authenticity to who he was as the Son of God. The disciples also were given the ability to perform signs and wonders, to bring people to the understanding that they represented the Son of God. 
So this man saw him as a miracle worker. But he didn't quite understand who he was as the son of God. So Jesus says to him, unless I do miracles, do you not believe? And then Jesus tells him, go home, your son will live. And so the Bible tells us that the man believed what Jesus said. And he started back home. On his way there, he runs into a group of people, servants that he knows well. And probably in his mind when he sees them coming from a distance off, and, and you probably think the same way, if, if I knew my son was sick and I knew my son was about to die, and I saw a group of people coming from a distance off, I would think to myself they're bringing bad news, that I'm too late. But when he gets to them, they tell him, your son is alive and he's doing well. Then he asked them, when did this happen? And they said, well, about 1 o'clock yesterday. Well, then the man realized that exactly the same moment that Jesus told him that his son would live is exactly the moment that his son was healed. And then the Bible says something very, very interesting. It says that he believed in Jesus along with all of his household. He believed in Jesus along with all of his household. Now, this is a very short story, but to me it has a huge point to it. And that point is this. Jesus can do more than our faith expects. Jesus can do more than our faith expects. You see, expectations can either set the tone for success, or limit the maximum potential to less than what it could be. When we pray with a limited request, we leave a lot out there that we could be blessed with. Oftentimes, our expectations of what we are asking Jesus to do, or what we think Jesus ought to do, hinders our ability to exercise the maximum of our faith that God wants us to have. And so I just want to share a few truths with you, a few thoughts on how we can expand our expectations, how we can increase our expectations so that our faith can be maximized to the potential God wants us to live. Now, first of all, I want you to see that Jesus is not constrained by human limitations. In verse 46, it says, As he traveled through Galilee... He came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus, it says, to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. So you see the desperation here of this father who desperately needs Jesus to come. Now, understanding, too, that this father was a government official. In other words, he was a man of means. He had money. He had influence. He had resources. He had people that he could reach out to. And we can assume that he has used all of those without any success. And so he comes to Jesus. Jesus asked, Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? The official pleaded, 
Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. See, we see clearly here that for this father, there's really only one thing on his mind. I'm not sure he even heard the words of Jesus or what Jesus was trying to show him because he was only thinking about his son. He was only thinking about what the problem was and what he needed Jesus to do in him. There's nothing here to indicate that this man even knew who Jesus was, that he had any kind of belief in the fact that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. There's nothing here to lead us to believe that he came to Jesus because he believed that he was the Son of God. But because Jesus was the Son of God, distance and time was not an obstacle for him. We so often wrap our expectations in a human package. When we do this, our faith becomes the size of our ability. In other words, when I go to pray, it's so easy for me in that moment when I'm desperate, when I have a need, when I'm distracted by everything that's going on in my life, to limit God to human limitations. And so when I pray, the expectations that I'm praying with, because I'm already convinced of what I want Him to do in my life, puts limitations on it. So for us, we need to understand, first of all, who Jesus is. We need to understand, secondly, what He can do. His unlimited ability, His unlimited power, so that we can pray in the expectations that God can do absolutely anything. And as we're talking about him being the difference maker, he can make a difference in any area of your life. He can make a difference in you. He can make a difference in any situation. But the expectations that we must have is that he is limitless, that he is all-powerful, that he can do anything that we could ever ask him to do. There's no prayer, no problem too big for him. There's no issue that he can't deal with. There's no sickness that he can't heal. We've got to raise the expectations that we have. Let me ask you a question. As this father approached Jesus, do you think it would have been easier for Jesus to do what he did and heal the boy from a distance away? Or would it have been easier for Jesus to allow this boy to die and then go raise him back to life? Which would have been easier? For Jesus, neither one of these were a problem. You see, it wasn't about the object of the prayer. It wasn't about the need. It wasn't about the request. It wasn't about the reason the Father was there so much as it was about the faith of the Father. The healing increased his faith. The healing increased his expectations so that he understood more clearly who Jesus was and what Jesus could do. You know, when we do pray, we need to pray with this expectations that God can do anything. In other words, when, if we pray for a job, don't just pray for a job. Pray for a specific job. There's a specific job that you want God to give you. There's a, there's a, a job that you want God to put you in. If we're praying for God to save a family member, why don't we just pray that God save all of our family members? If we're praying for God to save a neighbor, why don't we pray that God save our entire community? We need to pray with a bigger expectation of what we want to see God do. Whatever you think you need is probably less than what Jesus is willing to give. 
you know, you think about this. What happens one day when we get to heaven and we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ realizing that all that we've ever asked him to do was far less than what he desired to do? That we didn't get all that we could have because we didn't ask him to do all that he wanted to do. I believe God wants to use us to do incredible things in this world. Expectations should measure, should reach the measure of the faith that God wants us to have. Secondly, Jesus is more concerned with you than he is with the result. Now, this fact here I want to point out to you, it it gives me a lot of comfort to know that Jesus is more concerned about me than he is necessarily about the results of my prayer request. Look in verse 50, it says, Then Jesus told him, Go back home, your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. So the son's healing was simply a byproduct of the father's belief as displayed through his obedience. He believed what Jesus said. In obedience, he did what Jesus told him to do. And so that's obvious in the picture. Now Jesus at this moment was more concerned with the man's faith than I believe he was the son's sickness. So he began to do a work in the person himself, in the man, in the father. Oftentimes people get what they're praying for. But it doesn't change them. You know, after Clemson won the national championship and all of us Clemson fans were all excited and and proud and and going on, I I saw a sign at a church. And that church, this church sign read, I thought it was very creative. uh, And they must have put it about very late too on top of that. Uh, It says, if you made any promises during that last drive, services start at 10 (laughs) o'clock. You know, I don't know how many times uh, throughout the years uh, I've seen people pray and ask Jesus to do something in their life or ask me to pray for them that Jesus could do something in their life. or uh, You know, they have some need. Maybe it's a physical need. Maybe it's healing that they need. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's a job. But they're praying and they're seeking God and they want God to do something mighty in their life. They're wanting to see this miracle take place. And so they're praying, God, if you'll just do this or, or you'll just do that. And, and, and in their heart, they're promising, God, if you'll do these things, then, then I'm going to commit myself to this and I'm going to be more faithful to that and I'm going to be more loyal to whatever it is, God, you would have me to do. But for the most part, what I've seen over the years is that when God comes through and God's faithful, Regardless if we're faithful to what we promise or not, God's faithful. Amen? So when God comes through, they go back on their promises. Why? Because even though God answered their prayer, it didn't create change in them. So God's more concerned with the change that needs to take place in your life, and He is about the answer to your prayers. God's more concerned about the change in you than he is the change around you. So the question isn't, what can Jesus do for us? But the question should be this, what can Jesus do in us? So here's this man, he's praying. He's wanting Jesus to heal his son. He comes to Jesus with no idea who he is. All he knows is he saw him do miracles at the Passover. And if he can do miracles at the Passover, then he can heal his son. So he comes to him as a Healer, wanting him to bring healing to his son. Jesus answers his prayer request, but I believe for the sole purpose of touching and changing the life of this man. We are all about the results. 
But Jesus is all about you. You see, Jesus wants to see change and transformation in your life. No matter what else happens around you, if the change and transformation is not taking place in you, then you're not making, making progress. We're going to see in this father's life that as Jesus began to minister through his son, he began to impact his life. The third thing I want you to see here is this. Jesus doesn't always give us what we ask, but rather what we need. Look in verse 51. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better, and and they replied, Yesterday afternoon at 1 o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, Your son will live, and he and his entire household believed in Jesus. I want to read that last statement one more time. After he found out his son was lived, what did he say? And he and his entire household believed what? In Jesus. You see, before he believed what Jesus said, now he believed in Jesus and his entire household. You know, it would be easy to look at this story and conclude that the difference Jesus made as the difference maker in this story is in the life of the Son. But if you really get to looking at it, you understand the true difference was made in the life of the Father and those within his own household. Because not only now do they understand Jesus is powerful enough to do miracles, but they understand he is also their Savior. Not only do they understand that Jesus can answer all needs and meet all needs, They understand he's already met the greatest need, and that is their salvation. That he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he was the one that was sent from heaven to pay the penalty for our sins. And so the greatest change we see in this story didn't happen in the life of the Son, but it took place in the life of the Father. Guys, what I want you to understand today is this. God is more about working in you than he is in the circumstances around you. Now, he'll work through you to impact the circumstances around you, but he's all about meeting your need. We don't always know what to ask for or what is best. We may pray for physical healing when what is really needed is spiritual healing. There may be times when we feel like Jesus doesn't answer our prayers at all. Because what we have asked for is not really what we need. Yet when he gives us what we need, we realize that he answered it in the best way. If we can believe Jesus for what we think we need, we can believe in Jesus for what he knows we need. When I surrendered to the ministry, and I guess I could say that I conceded to the ministry because that really more, uh, I think, would describe it. But when I surrendered to the ministry at the age of 27, I really had no understanding of what I had in front of me. To be honest with you, as a kid, I was extremely shy, hated the oral book reports and all that kind of thing. I'd do anything to get out of that stuff. And the thought of getting up and speaking in front of people scared me to death. I still get nervous even today. 
But, it, but I came to the point when I began to feel that he was calling me into the ministry that I finally conceded to that. I surrendered to it. And once I did, I almost embraced it. Or I came to the point that not only did I surrender to it, but I became excited about it. And I wanted to see God do things in a hurry. Because now that I've been called into the ministry, I wanted a church. I wanted a pastor. I wanted to preach. I wanted to do these things that I've seen these other guys do. And I wanted to go ahead and get on with it. Five years later, still no church. I hadn't even called as a youth minister at this point. Nothing. I don't want to belittle youth minister by saying I didn't mean to sound that way. I'm just saying that's usually the first step for a lot of guys back in those days. So five years into it, no open doors. One day I get a phone call. And it's a church not far from my home. And man, I'm so excited. I'm thinking, this is it. Finally God's opened the door. I couldn't wait to get down there and talk to them. They had a need for a pastor. And so I go down and I meet with them and I talk with them. We set up another meeting. I talked to them again. We set up another meeting. I talked to them again. We set up another meeting. I talked to them again. And to be honest, we really weren't getting anywhere. I didn't really know what I was doing, and, and I'm not sure if they did either. But we, we were having these meetings, and we were talking. Well, we finally got to a certain point, and, and I think they felt like something needed to be done. And so they had asked me to pray about being their pastor. And we had another meeting set up, and I told Denise when I left the house that evening, I said, when I come back, be prepared to pack up and move because we were going to move into the parsonage, even though it was only two miles up the road or so. I said, we're going to pack up, we're going to move, and I'm going to be the pastor of that church. And Man, I was so excited. I could not wait. I could not wait. This is what I've been praying for. This is what I've been looking for. And So I go and sit down that night, and the meeting went Totally the opposite of what I thought it would. The circumstances, conditions, and all that made it absolutely impossible for me to take this church. They wanted me to come back and meet again, see if we could work something out, work some things out. When I left there that night, I knew that this wasn't going to happen. And I cried all the way home because I wanted it so bad. When I got home, I called a dear friend of mine, preacher Carl Pointer. He was a retired minister. He's gone on to be with the Lord now. And I just needed some words of encouragement, some words of wisdom. And he said to me, Son, when I was a boy, I used to walk to church uphill both ways. <laughs> I'm just teasing. He didn't say that. <laughs> no, he shared some words of encouragement with me and uh, really did make me feel better. But at the same time, I was also disappointed that it didn't work out. About six months later, another church called. This church was located in Greenville. Matter of fact about it, I'm not sure if it's in city limits or not, but it's right there at it. It would have been a huge change for me because I'm used to country living. And Greenville, to me, you might as well be Atlanta. It's the same difference as far as I'm concerned. But I talked to this dear lady. She was very sweet. They come to hear me preach. And even after they heard me preach, they wanted to talk to me again. And, and so we met with them, and we talked. And they were so sweet. I mean, man, I love those people. 
Uh, me and my wife, we went over to a worship service that they had there, and we looked at their parsonage and, and all of that. At one time, this was a thriving church, but because of the community that they lived in had uh, changed because of the closing of the mills and those things that took place. You've probably been right by this church a thousand times. It's right there on 123 in that Judson area. Their church had declined to hardly nothing. But that didn't matter to me. They were going to do their very best to take care of us. And, and, and man, I was just, I just blown away with their graciousness and their generosity. And so I began to pray about it. And I said, God, if this is what you want, I know it's a city. I know it's a different environment. I know everything about it is not me. But if this is what you want, I'm ready. So I began to pray about it. At the time, I was going to school in Hendersonville, North Carolina, and driving back and forth. Uh, I became so stressed over this that one evening coming home, I had to pull over, and, and I got sick right there on the side of the road and had to vomit. I mean, I was, I was sick to my stomach, mainly because just the stress that it was creating in me. And so I talked to a good friend of mine, and he said, Brother, it sounds like to me that this is not what God wants you to do. And that's not what I wanted to hear. But I called this lady. And as sweet as she could be, I, I told her that I wasn't coming. And again, I was brokenhearted. Man, this, you know, I began to question, God, are you really calling me? Is this really what you want from me? Because I didn't think it was ever going to happen. Now, by this time, I had become the associate pastor at Claremont Baptist Church over here in Westminster and, and going to school full time and enjoying that. And that was keeping me busy enough. Well, just a few months later, the pastor of that church retired. It was a good thing. He retired. He was, you know, he was that age, and, 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 and so everything was good about that. And, and, uh, but I had no idea that he was planning on doing that. But once he retired, they asked me, would I be the interim pastor? Would I preach in his absence until they found someone? And then six months later, they asked me to be their pastor. God knew what I didn't know. That first church I talked about, and I'm not going to mention their name, but they've gone through so many pastors in that same period of time. It was just a difficult place. The other church, of no fault of their own, sold their building and has changed names and owners, I think, three times since I talked with them. It would have been a difficult place because of the challenges there. Nothing's too big for God, I understand that. But God put me at a place where I could grow and learn, make mistakes, and be loved and my family be taken care of. God put me at a place where he wanted me to be, even though it's not where I thought I should have been. Sometimes there's things in our life where we desperately need to see God do something. We want to see God do something. and We're praying and we're seeking Him and we're desperate. We're not exactly sure what it is we want God to do or what we really need. And so in our prayers, we pray to our human expectations, not understanding who He is, what He can do, what He wants to do in our life. Again, I don't know what you're facing or what you're going through, but I would probably say there's some people here today, you've got some issues going on, you've got some situations, you've got some things in your life, and you need a miracle. You need God to come through for you. You need God to do a work in your life. You need God to answer your prayers.
I just want to encourage you by saying you, telling you this. He is the difference maker. So what I'd like for you to do is close your eyes and bow your heads. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now with no one looking around. If you want to come join me here around the stage, we're going to have prayer. You don't have to, but I would encourage you to come. And let's gather around here. If there's a need in your life, there's something you want us to pray for you, why don't you come? Father, we bow before you right now. With needs that only you can meet. There may be other options, but there's only one answer, and you are you're the answer. Father, we just ask. expectations may meet the needed level of faith that you desire for us to have. God, may we never again limit you to our own ability or limit you to what we can see in our own, with our own eyes and what we think can be accomplished from our human perspective. But God, we want to pray in such a big way knowing that there's nothing impossible for you that you can do anything that we ask of you. So Father, if there's anyone here today that needs physical healing, maybe it's someone in their family that needs physical healing, God, I pray, Lord, that you would work through them to bring healing in the life of that person. Maybe it's financial, maybe it's a job, or maybe it's just a family crisis. Thank you and have a wonderful and blessed day. You're dismissed.